I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all whom will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you have given me because you love me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So historically, uh, the church has used a method or practice of, of reading scripture called the Lectio Divina. And the beauty of this practice is that it encourages the reader to imagine themselves um, within the space that's happening, uh, wherever it is they might be reading uh, within the Bible. Um, and and, and the, again, the invitation of this practice is to imagine yourself in, in that setting, what, what was happening there. Imagine yourselves as one of the characters uh, within that narrative or within that section of Scripture. What would it be like to receive that letter and, and to read it out loud? What would it, um, what would it be like to be one of the disciples? And um, again, it's just this great space that allows us to really dive into and meditate on the Word of God. It's kind of with, within that, um, that practice that I want us to to imagine ourselves here in John 17 in the countryside, out in, in the hills, and, um, and in that space, looking off to our side, and, and to see that Jesus' arms are open wide and he's looking up into the sky. And, and as, as we peer into what's happening in that moment, we discover that he's praying. I just, what a... What a beautiful scene that is to stop and to imagine. And, and, and I would say that as if we were in that space, that we would be so intrigued and so interested about what is it that Jesus is, is praying about. And as, as we're in that space imagining what it is he's praying about, and we discover that the words of his prayer are circling all around unity. The unity that he has with with the Father, but 
that that unity would be something that would overtake and, and fill and define uh, the relationship, the relationships that, that the church has amongst herself, but, but more importantly, how that relationship and that unity is tied to our residing in Jesus. I just put it this way, that if we were to hear, like be in that moment and hear Jesus praying, and the emphasis of his prayer was on unity, I imagine that would overtake our hearts not only in that moment, but what would begin to form our lives is taking unity extremely serious because we have heard our friend and our Savior put such an emphasis on it. The other thing that I would hope would, would capture our hearts and, and our minds and begin to take shape over our lives is that we would realize this is what God is working toward. That in this moment, Jesus is giving us his game plan. He's given us the blueprint. He, he's giving us the syllabus of what's going to be taking place. This is what God is working toward. This is what his efforts are, are focused on. It is unity. It's the unity of, of his people. I, I, I would challenge us to, to think about it this way. It would be really wise to fall in line with, to be in alignment with what Jesus is praying for. Uh, there, there's, there's power, there's movement, there's blessing here as, as, as we find our lives coming in, into continuity with what he's praying for. If you remember those times when we used to go to the airport <laughs> and, and, and you would land and you're getting your connector flight and you find that, that because of the ways that the, the flights uh, worked out with one another, you had about 30 minutes to get to the gate from the time that you land to the time that the other, uh, your other flight was taking off. And you remember that, that moment of maybe joy that overtook your heart as that as you're going through, uh, weaving your way through the airport, that you found a moving walkway. And in that moment, you realized my movement and my jogging or my sprinting, depending on how uh, soon your flight was going to be taken off, is going to be accelerated that much more. Or it's going to, I'm just going to find less resistance when my feet hit that moving walkway. Because now the direction of my life is now in alignment with something else that's also moving in the same direction. Listen. Don't kick against or don't resist uh, the movement that, got, that that's happening here amongst the Trinity. And this isn't like a uh, God will be out to get you if, if you don't come in alignment, but it's more of this place of saying, man, this, this is where uh, you just find the sheer blessing of your life being in the same direction and same flow uh, that God is moving. Do not swim against the current that God is, is moving in. Uh, I, I, maybe we could, we could say it this way too, is to say, adjust your sails. Adjust your sails. 
right? Like the idea of a sailboat is this place of saying, how is it that we can find that, that our, our sails are able to capture uh, the direction and, and the power that, that the wind is, is flowing in? And, and so may, may we be in this place where we're constantly going and trying to discern and say, God, what is it? How is it that you're moving in the world? What is it that, that we see you put an emphasis on? What is it that, that becomes such a priority and such a focus for you? And here we see in John 17, we, we see that God's effort, again, is around unity. But also what I want to say here in John chapter 17 is you'll also notice that so much of the elements of Jesus's prayer here find their center in God's effort and not ours. This is huge news for us. This is great news for us to be able to hear that you hear him say that he's keeping us in his name. He's filling us with his joy. He's the one sanctifying us in his truth. And and the really big thing to capture for this week, or that I hope we would capture this week, is that we, we're being unified in him. He's the one that is doing that work of unity. He does the work. And our response is meant to identify, to work with, and to live according to how he's working, that we would surrender our lives, that we would be responsive, and that we would even pray according to how we see him move. You know, when, when you're at the grocery store or Target or Costco and, and you grab that shopping cart, and, and, and there's always that one wheel Three out of the four wheels are moving fine, but there's always that one wheel that's so wobbly and, and rather than moving in the same direction, it's wobbling and it's shaking and it's spinning and it's off the ground. And you just look at it and go, how did you just get so uh, misaligned with what everything else is, uh, is doing here? Listen, you, you were designed to move in the same direction that God is moving. Don't be like that one wheel on the shopping cart. Capture it. His work. He's the one that's done it. He has united us. It, it, it's the space, right? Jesus right now is on the precipice. He's, he's, on, he's on the very brink of, of going to the cross and the work that he's going to accomplish is the work of reconciliation. That because of his death on the cross, God, Jesus is uniting us to God. And he's also uniting us, connecting us to one another. This is the work that he has established. Unity doesn't happen out of human ingenuity, but it is a participation in the unity that exists in God already. And Jesus makes a way for us to be a part of the unity, that oneness that already exists amongst God. If you ever showed up somewhere and felt so underdressed <laughs> and, and you just realize, how did I end up in this space? Uh, but but you, you realize that what Jesus is, is revealing to us is that you, me, like us, the church, the reality that we live in now is that we reside 
in the place of that beautiful oneness of the Trinity. That's where we reside in. Jesus makes it very clear, right? He says that they will be one, just as you and I are one, and may they be in us. We, we didn't get here because of our effort. We didn't present some kind of resume to, to Jesus and said, here's why we get access to be in that place where we participate in that beautiful relationship of the Trinity. But it is this place where Jesus has made a way and has now invited us, called us, chosen us to be a part of that beautiful place. Jesus is very clear. I have given them the glory. The place that Jesus has invited us to is absolutely mind-blowing. But this is the reality that we live in. The work of God is unity. He's the one to create the bond of unity. He's the one that tears down the walls of hostility. And so we seek to express what has already been done in Jesus. We have been unified with God and with one another. And I can now, here's the thing, I have a choice here now. What I've been called into is now this space of saying, I can work against what Jesus has established, or I can go along with and find my life in in unison with the new reality that Jesus has placed me into. Let's use the example of marriage. The statement of of marriage is what God has brought together, what God has made one, let no man separate. See, the, the trouble married folk get themselves into is when they start living in a way that is incongruent with the reality that God has brought together. The, the, the trouble that we get ourselves into is when we are not actively and living with initiative to, to continue to bring our lives more and more in alignment with the reality that we live in. Right? So Larissa and myself, we, we realize that, that marriage is hard work. And, and, and the hard work that needs to constantly happen is for us to be in this space where we are saying, how do we root out in our own lives and in our collective lives, our lives together? How do we root out and deal with the habits, the attitudes, the actions, the words that are causing separation in what God has brought together? Our lives need to to now start living in this place, actively living in this place of saying, God has brought us together and we're going to keep on working and living in that new space that he's called us to live in. See, the bond of unity for the church already exists. It is what has Jesus, Jesus has established. And what Jesus has brought together, let no man separate. So I work to identify what doesn't line up with the place that I do live in. And the, and the truth is, is that if you look over the New Testament, 
we have what are called the epistles, right? There, there are these letters that, that, the, that the apostles wrote to, to the churches spread around um, Rome and, and, and Turkey and you're just that, that big region there. And, and, and they're constantly writing letters to the church to say, realize the reality that you live in. And as you continue to realize the reality that you live in, it will, it should change how you guys are living amongst each other. And the truth is, when you look over the New Testament, you'll see in the book of Acts, you'll see in the book of Romans, in the book of Corinthians, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Philemon, in the book of James, in the book of First John, in the book of Second John. And there's, there's so many other places where the church uh, apostles are coming and they're saying, you guys, you, you live in this place of unity, but you are operating in a place that is, that is the antithesis of that. And so much of, of the letters to the church are constantly telling them, come back to the place that Jesus has called you to live into. Come back to that place that he has, has formed you in. And you'll see it addressed, again, over so many letters of the New Testament. New members and long-standing members, rich and poor, men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile, master and slave, parent and child, mature in the faith and new to the faith. There's always, these letters are so filled with instruction to the church that says, you, you, you were called to unity. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, no, right? And, and no male, no female. This is the reality that he has, he's established. Live in that context. Live in that place. Root out all of those spaces that are causing separation amongst you. I realize that you guys are living disconnected, but, but the reality that you're supposed to be living in is connected. Again, this work, it, it, it takes real initiative and it takes real action. The church is meant to be proactive in their work. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, it, it just simply tells us, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Again, the great news is, is that Paul's not writing to the church and saying, make the unity happen but you're making every effort to keep the unity that is there in God's Spirit. We've been made one, and we need to live in alignment with that reality. Will we be a people that live in reality? This is, this is the space that you are in. You know, I think about Jesus' moments when he's walking around the countryside with, with the disciples. And there's a moment when he's walking with them that he then inquires, Hey, what were you guys talking about over there? He knows full well what they were talking about. And I imagine their heads drop and the disciples have to admit in that moment, Yeah, we were, we, we were arguing about who's the greatest <laughs> who's the greatest among, amongst our group? And in there, I see such priority by Jesus. 
you know, there's few times as a parent where I see my boys interacting with one another and I intentionally go and I call a time out and I say, wait a minute, there's something specific we need to address here. What, how are you guys interacting with one another? And I see that that same texture and that same uh, movement here by Jesus where he, he identifies something taking root in the disciples' interaction with one another and he makes sure to stop. And, and it's teachable moment. We need to work on this. Here, here in Jesus' prayer, we also see that there is, there is something incredible that takes place if we actually live in accordance with, in alignment with, the reality that Jesus has established. And what he tells us is, is that it will be a witness to the world. We will show a reality to the world that they are unaware of. Why? What's on display when we live with such unity? It is, a, it is this powerful declaration to the world that something exists that they don't have a context for or that they are longing for but cannot attain on their own. Look at our world today. Look at just the, 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 just even in our own nation, all of the different points that we're disagreeing with one another on. And it's not even just the fact that we disagree and are able to move forward. It's the fact that we are paralyzed in our places of, of disagreement with one another. We're not, our starting point isn't we're unified and let's try to work things out. Our, our, our starting point in the world today is, is we're separate. And we're trying to use our power to keep our point of view to be the one that dominates. And that's and so so the church is meant to be this powerful display to the world, something that catches their attention. Because what happens when we live in unity? We demonstrate two things to the world. We one express the work of God's hand. What, what happens is that what, when the world sees us, they see the handiwork of God. They see the, the mastery. They, they see the excellence and, and the wonder of who God is. Not who we are, but the, the credit and the glory goes to him for what he does when we actually operate in that place of unity. The other thing that happens is we demonstrate the oneness of God. We demonstrate a love that, that humanity is craving and longing for. And so when we live in unity, it, it, it is, is this, this incredible message to the world. Look what actually exists. And it's something that compels the world to believe in God because they see something so incredible taking place. Bruce Milne in his commentary just simply says this. Listen, evangelism is a community act. The, the, the message that we preach, the message that we bring to the world, ho holds so much of its power in the fact that as we come and we tell people, listen, God is love. And then what happens when they then see a church that is not living in that love? 
there's something of a disconnect between what we're trying to say and, and what they're seeing. But can you imagine the other way around that when the world sees a church amongst its massive amount of diversity living in unity, uh, a church that has all kinds of backgrounds, a church that has all kinds of different histories and viewpoints, and, and, and but the way that they then come together and genuinely love one another, and then we say, God is love. Our, our, our preaching, our evangelism, our declaration of good news finds so much power in the church being one. There's power here in those statements. There's power here in, in, in our unity. Again, because what does is, what is the world see in that moment? They, they see... I, I really believe this from from the very beginning of, of of scripture when when God's about to make humanity, what does he say? Let us let us make man in our image. See, we were made out of unity. We were made and initially designed in the image of unity and and so. When, when the world sees unity on display, it is a beckoning back to our original design. We become like that perfect shopping cart where all of the wheels are in alignment with one another. And it just becomes this, this point of, of convincing the church. I mean, convincing the world there's something powerful and there's something unique that's taking place here that the world would become persuaded to believe in the message that we're bringing because of the love that resides amongst us they see something that they didn't even know could exist maybe in this moment you could write I want maybe you write something in the chat thread for me. I I love unique food combinations. I love discovering new unique food combinations. And maybe you know these examples are not that adventurous, but I there's this pizza that I would eat um back in LA. It was from this restaurant called Downey Pizza Co. And they had a pastrami pizza. It was a pizza that had pastrami and pickles and mustard all over it. And the first time you look at it and you go, pickles and mustard on a pizza? But then you bite into it and man, you're persuaded in that moment. There's something incredible here. And maybe in, in, in the chat thread, you can write down um, a food combination that you've discovered or a restaurant that has this unique food combination that you just absolutely love, but other people might be a little bit um, just uh, turned away from. But here, here's why I say this, is, is what our unity does, it allows the world to see a unique combination taking place. And as they experience and actually get into and see that unique combination taking place, 
the prayer of Jesus here is that they would be persuaded. This is good. Church, God is love. He's one. There is such perfect unity amongst him. And he's invited for us to live in that space and to be active for our lives, to be proactive and turned towards the current of his movement. What is he working on? What is his effort? That we would be connected to him and we would be connected to one another. Let us make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit.